open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host at Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have with us a special guest, Brock Pierce. Welcome to the podcast, Brock. Trace, good to be back. Yeah, good to have you. It's been about a year since the last time we chatted. Now, you're a, a partner at Blockchain Capital, right? What do you guys do there? What are you guys excited about? Well, Blockchain Capital is a venture fund that was founded to finance companies building around blockchain technology, uh, Bitcoin in particular at the time. We've got near 45 investments in the space, and we've been doing this for, uh, for about three years. And I founded it along with my, uh, my partner's partner, Brad Stevens, who I've been working with uh, for, call it, 10 or 11 years now. Okay. okay. What are you most excited about in the space? Well, I mean, <laughs> there's, that's, a, that's a tough question because there's so much, and it changes so often as you go through a call it the you know, the, the, the never what seems to be ending layers of, of, of Bitcoin and blockchain technology and, you know, kind of seeing what it can do conceptually and then trying to figure out, you know, those theoretical opportunities to what are the ones that are practical or most importantly, timely, the ones that are kind of ready to, to be brought to market. Right now, I'm excited on the Bitcoin front about a few things. One is I think that Bitcoin historically is, you know, it's, it's, it's only true utility uh, was as a you know sort of a speculative investment. It obviously had lots of potential, you know, that all of us have been excited about for a long time now. But I think that it 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 truly has become a better, faster, cheaper way to send money through some you know corridors in terms of from country to country. And it you know it's in in some instances better, faster, and cheaper. In some instances, maybe only two of the three. But that's become a a, a material and a, a real use case. And I know a lot of us have talked about for a long time. That, you know, Bitcoins, I think uh, the greatest utility was in, you know, sort of the developing world, Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia, the places where the infrastructure hadn't existed. And that Bitcoin has the, you know, the potential to leapfrog uh, kind of the build out of, you know, what we think of as the existing financial system, much in the same way that Africa leapfrogged uh, wired communications. So, um, you know, in the Bitcoin front, I think the fact that that use case is now real and happening and growing is an exciting one. You know, I think in the area of, blockchain technology. Do you have a specific example or two of where there actually is like a better, faster, cheaper use case with Bitcoin, like maybe one of the companies you're involved with? Well, one of the, uh, uh, the companies I'm most excited about right now is uh, Abra, which is going live. And their focus is, is essentially on turning, it's like Uber, but instead of people driving you know, cars and picking up potential customers, they're fulfilling remittance orders and delivering money or collecting money. So I'm, I'm really excited about that approach because it's one that has the potential to, you know, go international very quickly, meaning, you know, kind of be a, a near worldwide service. So very excited about them. And you know, the key corridors that, you know, look interesting are obviously the Philippines to the nations where you've got large populations, India, you know, to the Middle East, you know, Mexico to America, 
And so those are like, you know, call it just some examples of the large uh, remittance corridors, you know, Brazil as well. And I'm seeing, as I look at companies that have been operating in these, you know, through these corridors, I've been seeing very promising results. I mean, that you can deliver better, faster, cheaper. And so I think as if I'm a migrant worker, you know, working somewhere in the Middle East, and I'm making money to send back home to uh, my family in India, for example, and I figure out I can save 10 or maybe 20%, because again, these are some of the poorest people in the world that are, you know, working very hard for limited salaries. The savings for them are the ones that are the most significant, because the way that Western Union and these companies charge is... Uh, they charge a flat fee and a percentage. So if you're sending a smaller sum of money, the relative fee to you is much higher. And so if I save 20%, for example, when I make that payment, I'm going to probably tell my friends about it. Friends, my friends are going to instantly go, please show me how. And I could see now that it's starting to work, uh, it virally becoming very big, very fast. Last time I was in Singapore, I went down to one of the malls because uh, James Cox, he wrote a book on Bitcoin. He was kind of my host. And he took me down to this mall and it was like seven stories high. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people just lined up outside of these remittance businesses. You know, and I guess that's what they do. Like one of the days, like they when they when they're not working, they go down to the mall and they wait in line for like two hours to give them Singaporean dollars to wire back, well, to send back via Western Union or whatever it is to the Philippines or Bangladesh or, or whatever. So, I mean, we're talking about not just a tax in terms of money, but also a tax in terms of time, right? And the Bitcoin things like Abra, they're you're saying that they're reducing that cost in terms of time. Do you have any examples how that might be working for the actual people using it? Yeah, well, I mean, it, with any of these services, let's say I'm sending money back. Uh, to the Philippines. And in each jurisdiction, the service is different, meaning that in the case of the Philippines, if I send money there, there is already a, a large and robust and existing, call it money remittance industry. And the way that you pick up that money is you go to a shopping mall and you collect your funds, or uh, you can have those mo- that money delivered directly to you. You know, Someone will come on a little you know, motorbike and will knock on your door and say, here's your money. And that's how it works in the Philippines. The issue is once Abra receives that money, they can make that money immediately available to that venue in, call it the Philippines. You know, Western Union doesn't always, uh, sometimes there's like a, a two or a three day delay. So you're talking um, about when they receive the Bitcoins. So, yeah, they, so they, have, they have the ability to make that money available to someone on the other side of the world in a matter of minutes. Because it, of the blockchain? Because of the blockchain instead of a, a one or two or, you know, three day potential delay. And also because the blockchain works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, uh, Western Union has, you know, very different, you know, operational hours. Ske- scheduled maintenance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, kind of along with that, what do you what do you see in terms of the developers of the Bitcoin blockchain specifically as opposed to any of the other blockchains out there? I mean, where are they at in terms of expertise, in terms of skill, in terms of just overall usefulness? When, when you refer to the developers, are we talking – you're talking about at Abra or we're talking about – uh, wow. I would say I would say Bitcoin Core, since that's the largest, most entrenched project. But I, I guess we could even compare no, and contrast exactly. the different teams that are out there, like Classic or Unlimited. You know, I mean, I, I first of all want to you know thank anyone that is a core developer. You know, I'm chairman of the Bitcoin Foundation, and I can tell you it's a thankless job. And uh, I know that I put in a lot of time and energy, and does everyone here at the uh, at the foundation and. You know, I think the core developers are in a, a similar situation. So I would first off like to thank all of them. You know, anyone that takes the time to contribute to the uh, the development of Bitcoin, 
is someone that I'd like to thank because generally they're not getting compensated for those efforts. And uh, as of late, you know, they're not getting a lot of thanks. <laughs> um, so I'd like to thank all of them to begin. Obviously, you know, the Bitcoin core team, you know, has probably been developing the, they've been the most active uh, contributors to Bitcoin core, <laughs> you know, but I understand why some people in the community are frustrated. And again, this is, you know, one of the problems uh, that you have when you have open source uh, development. Yeah, people, uh, not, people don't just write the code that you want. They kind of write the code that they want. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> you and, know, beggars can't be choosers, right? <laughs> and, and, and Well, and code gets written and not everyone's going to agree as to the, you know, the approach that's being taken. And as a result of that, you know, you're going to have a lot of, you know, disagreements. And those disagreements are going to be very public due to the nature of, you know, this being, again, an open source and open sort of consensus building process. And unfortunately for everybody else looking in, more specifically the people from outside of our community, uh, we look very, very disorganized. Uh, and again, that's, you know, that's unfortunate, but that is the, that's because people get to see how the sausage is made. You know, my view is that um, I think that, you know, what everybody wants right now is, you know, something that's achievable. I think everyone's probably a little tired. You know, I think there's a little bit of fatigue. I think there's probably a fair amount of ego involved. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can find a compromise uh, where the, you know, collective core developers, not just from Bitcoin Core, but Classic and Unlimited, you know, can come together and find a solution. I think, you know, probably the best way to do that is to, to, to make it a, a situation where everyone doesn't, you know, everyone can feel like they won. And what I mean by that is uh, the successor, so call it development organization or organization or developer organization should probably no longer be called core, classic, or unlimited. Because by going forward with one of those names at this point, it's going to allow some people to feel like they won and others to feel like they lost. That's going to be, I think, one of the, uh, uh, the remaining items necessary to make everyone, you know, get everyone comfortable with coming to consensus. So uh, a, a new name is probably going to be needed, and that way it can be something that is inclusive of everyone. And hopefully the compromise includes you know, the things that everybody is, is fighting for. I mean, I think that, you know, all of those things can happen. I think we can see a two megabyte uh, ingress. I think we can see, you know, SegWit. I think we can see, you know, a hard fork to side chains. I think that the things that everyone cares about and wants can all be achieved. And I think it can be done in a way where everyone's, um, you know, feels good about the solution. And, um, you know, I hope that we get there for the benefit uh, of Bitcoin. I mean, we've been, I think, suffering as an industry from what are self-inflicted wounds, but, uh, you know, when this is done and consensus has been reached, you know, we'll be all the stronger for it. Kind of looking back on your experience as an investor being involved in, you know, what were probably very private boardroom fights. You know, it's almost like this is a public boardroom fight. Could you maybe give an example or two uh, in your own experience where there was like a pretty nasty board fight? But it, fortunately, it was all behind closed doors and the company was able to continue to go forward and be successful once the decision was finally made. It happens, you know, with almost every company at some point, unless you're, you know, one of those almost uh, uh, one of those elusive unicorns that do nothing but go up into the moon uh, the entire time. You know, every organization, just like every human being and every, you know, we all go, we all go through our moments of ups and downs. And sometimes those situations are going to create conflicts. And sometimes those conflicts are going to result in, you know, a lot of fighting and uh, uh, challenging situations. And, you know, eventually everyone wants what's best most of the time. I mean, that's the one thing we all need to take a step back and look, look around and understand we're all people that believe in Bitcoin. 
we're all people that have you know devoted weeks, months, or years uh, in many cases to supporting the ecosystem, whether that be taking the time to learn about it and have the ability to explain it to other people, uh, whether you know we all contribute in the ways that we can. And uh, you know, one thing for I think all of us to remember is we're, we're we're all on the same team at the end of the day. We may have differing views, but we are on the same team. Well, I mean, is is that actually true? Because like Mike Hearn, for example, he sold all his bitcoins and then he wrote his article about whiny rage quitting. What if he actually went short Bitcoin before he wrote that article so that he would profit financially uh, from stirring up the bad news and having the price go down? I mean, is everybody really on the same team uh, with Bitcoin well, since we can go short the the instrument? Uh, again, fair enough. As a general statement, I believe that to be true. Yes, of course, in, in Mike Hearn's instances, he's you know, decided that, you know, he wants to, to leave and walk away and front run the market. Right. <laughs> and, and, and which he very well could have. And, you know, well, I he hope- did. I mean, he wrote an article about how he sold all his bitcoins. And so he sold all his bitcoins before he wrote the article, which generated all the bad press. And and then the price went down like 5% well, I mean, or something. And, 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 and by the way, I don't fault someone for doing that if they've made the decision that they want to leave the market and then they explain the reasoning for doing so. I so guess you if, don't fault if, them for if, the, if this, if this for were a public company, the uh, uh, it would have been a, a, a different, it, it, there, that wouldn't have happened in that fashion. You know, if he had shorted the market, you know, and I hope, you know, the next time someone interviews him that he's actually asked that question, I would consider that to be kind of very poor form and, you know, ethically questionable behavior, uh, for, for a guy in his position. Yeah. So we're, I mean, we're seven years into Bitcoin now, like what is the role of it in this overall larger scope of blockchain technology? Well, I mean, I, I think of you know blockchain technology has many potential applications. I think of Bitcoin as being you know you know attempting to build a non-sovereign form of money. Uh, it has obviously other you know utility beyond that, but uh, uh, I think that's a pretty ambitious you know effort, if nothing else. And so far, it's you know succeeding at it in a very small way. You know, we're still you know only a six seven billion dollar sort of market cap, which, you know, in a tech stock is, you know, one very small public tech stock. And when you look at it as a currency or as a form of money, it, it's minuscule. And we're, you know, all of us are the, the very early adopters and, uh, you know, and arg- it's arguably still just an experiment. Um, I'm, you know, very long Bitcoin and, you know, believe this experiment is going to continue to evolve into something that starts to be really disruptive. Uh, it's not disruptive on any meaningful scale yet today. But I think we're laying all the groundwork. We're building the infrastructure, the bridges, the roads, the tunnels, you know, that will give it the ability for that to happen. And, uh, you know, hopefully at some point in the future, we, we reach a tipping point. I think it's going to take a while. I'm, I, I, you know, I, if you asked me in 2013 or 2014, I would have said, oh, it's going to happen rapidly. You know, as you know, we've been around, you know, the market longer and longer, my views have changed a little bit. And that is that it's going to take a while. And, and the main reason is, is, you know, I don't know. Uh, you've been around Bitcoin for a very long time. When did you first hear about it? Oh, gosh, gosh. like pretty much when it started. (laughs) I mean, I've been around it for a long time now. When did you acquire your first Bitcoin from the time that you heard about it to the time that you acquired your first Bitcoin? Oh, that's quite a pointed question. I'm not sure I really want to answer it. (laughs) Rather rather than directing the question at you uh, specifically, I'll use this as a more generic thing. When I ask most people, they're going to say, I heard about it in you know, 2011 or 2012 or 2013. Right, and then they and bought I, it. Like, I say, what, what is the later. first time that you, 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 know, you acquired your first Bitcoin, however you got it, whether it be mining or this or that? 
And they're normally, the answer is normally one or two or three years later. And then I always say, well, you're, you know, an entrepreneur or a software developer or someone that works within the, uh, the tech industry. You know, you're forward thinking, you're smart, uh, you're an early adopter of, you know, new, you know, new technologies. It took you days, weeks, months, or years. You know, how long do you think it's going to take for the average Joe, you know, or the average Jane? And, you know, that's the thing, you know, Bitcoin is still very confusing to most people. And it takes most people a fair amount of time to, to kind of reach that aha moment. And so, you know, I've been making this argument now for, for a couple of years that I think a lot of where our growth is going to come from is from services like Abra, which, you know, obfuscate, you know, Bitcoin from the product, though they're built on top of Bitcoin, because I think it just takes a while. You know, though, uh, you know, there will reach that, you know, that so-called tipping point, um, you know, again, to use Malcolm Gladwell's terminology, where there's enough of us that all of a sudden it's kind of like, oh, I trust this. I understand it. I don't need to research it to feel comfortable. You know, I know now I now know hundreds of people or thousands of people that are using it. It's hard when, you, you know, you're still at a level where, that we're such a small community of people. When, when, when people start to feel like they're one of the latecomers to an ecosystem and they know lots of people using it, they don't really need to know much to get comfortable. They're comfortable because they know lots of people that are using it. For most people on the planet, they don't know many people using Bitcoin. It's still that kind of mysterious, you know, technology that they don't understand because they quite frankly don't even understand what money is. Yeah, right. Magic, internet money. <laughs> what, ab- what about in the next two, two to three years then? What about like potential competitors, things like Ethereum? I mean, what do you what do you see its role being or are they even going to be competitors? I, I, I don't personally think of them as competitors, but, you know, theoretically it's possible. I mean, Ethereum, uh, you know, Bitcoin, you know, was built primarily to be a, you know, a mechanism for the transfer of value, um, you know, and, and lots of other ideas have emerged as to what can be done with it because we're creating immutable records and we can do all sorts of, you know, other stuff that I don't need to, I think, explain now. But, you know, one of those things was, you know, smart contracts uh, and Ethereum was build, built, you know, at least one of the core functions or capabilities that, is, that it has is to, uh, to deliver smart contracts. But then you also have things like Rootstock that are attempting to, to bring that sort of same capability to, um, to Bitcoin's blockchain. And then obviously you've got things like Omni. I was one of the founding board members there and Counterparty and Colored Coins and Open Assets. And, you know, there's lots of ways that we can build on Bitcoin's blockchain. But, you know, there's not agreement amongst the Bitcoin community whether or not that's a good thing or not. Um, as we talk about scaling, you know, Bitcoin and the block size, you know, if Bitcoin was only being used to transfer Bitcoin and that was its sole purpose, you know, scaling would be less of an issue. Uh, so, you know, I, again, there's lots of arguments that can be made there. Uh, and do I think that there's going to be many blockchains in the future? Yes. Do I think that there's going to be many currencies like Bitcoin that can be successful, that their role is to be, you know, call it a medium of exchange or a store of value? No, because I think ultimately, you know, we benefit from there being one very strong and successful currency that is the primary means for, call it the um, the reserve uh, cryptocurrency, <laughs> the well, world I mean, reserve crypto. But could we have several of them, kind of like we have gold and dollars and euros and British pounds and Swiss francs? Like, could we have multiple kind of valuable source of value with uh, cryptocurrencies, like maybe Bitcoin and Litecoin and Dogecoin and Dash and who knows what else? <laughs> Well, theoretically, yes, and I, but I don't know if it's going to be so much things like Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Dash. I think what's you know, uh, uh, I think what's more likely is yeah, you'll you'll have. I believe governments are going to issue their currency using this technology in the future, and so that'll look much like the current world we live in, but with just a more digital 
sort of infrastructure that allows those currencies to move much in the same way that Bitcoin does. In the case of uh, call it non-sovereign assets, I think that you know something like Zcash, you know, certainly has a, a lot of potential, you know, for you know those members of the community that care, you know, about anonymity. But then again, you know, Bitcoin could potentially implement a, a zero-proof, you know, sort of structure into it if you know we could reach the consensus to do so. Though I think, uh, and you may have, you know, a truly, you know, you could have an anonymous currency, a pseudo-anonymous currency. And a completely transparent currency, you know, I can see something like that occurring. And then I think that you'll have thousands of currencies that are, you know, that look very similar to digital currency in video games or frequent flyer miles. Again, things like Ethereum, lots of other call it digital instruments that have value. But I think as a as a currency, we're, we're probably still best served having one large and dominant one. And as of right now, that still looks like it will be Bitcoin. And you know, I continue to do what I can to to, to make that so. Are there any other things that you're particularly interested or excited about that we should be keeping our attention on? Well, I think what uh, what Zuko is doing in Zcash is, you know, certainly something of interest. And if someone is, if you aren't following it, you should look at it. I, I do think Ethereum, you know, is something worth looking at. I think of the, you know, call it 650 blockchains or cryptocurrencies or, you know, call it assets that exist out there. Bitcoin and Ethereum are, are, are certainly the most interesting. I think that in general, the rest of them are not. Uh, but there are a few that are. I mean, obviously, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Ripple and an investor in, in Ripple, the company. I'm also, uh, uh, I think what we're seeing right now around storage, you know, could be interesting. You know, you've got three or four different companies, you know, you know trying to do things in, in that area. The zero proof stuff, again, with, with Zcash and, you know, called the dashes of the world seem interesting. And, and I think that you're going to see a bunch of, you know, stuff emerge, you know, being built in and around the, you know, sort of the Ethereum ecosystem and i think a lot of that you know is also pretty exciting yeah kind of like slocket or some of these other things what about just like totally outside of the blockchain technology like what about in like biotech or drones or 3d printing like you know as, as we close the interview are there any any other kind of uh, things to tickle the brain well I'm a, I'm a global macro sort of person so i mean uh so far you know my my meals today have been soylent i'm a fan of biohacking the drone market is, you know, clearly an interesting one. And, you know, I'm a big fan of sort of the Internet of Things. And I do think that the blockchain is going to have a, a significant impact on all of these things. You know, my firm has been investing in, in companies recently that are taking blockchain technology to the, the healthcare industry. We just invested in a company called Tyrion, which is, uh, is doing some of that. So I think that the blockchain is going to impact all of these industries. And, you know, uh, there's lots of cool stuff going on in the world, VR, AR. Um, I can see the the digital assets in those environments becoming, you know, call it put on a blockchain so that they can be interoperable and, you know, they can move from, you know, world to world. Yeah, no, I mean, we're living through some exciting times. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's hard, you know, for, for those of us that spend, you know, most of our time on Bitcoin and sort of blockchain related activities, that one industry has gotten to a point that it's beyond my ability to keep track of everything going on or to even have any, you know, good sense of everything going on you know trying to keep track of everything going on in the world right now is even harder isn't it exciting though so i i've on the podcast webpage i've got a page for resources which have all my favorite biohacks what would be your like number one recommendation of a biohack for the audience for the listeners well i'll I'll give a shout out to uh uh, eric but uh he's got a uh uh, a product called uh neutro it's a uh it's n-o-o T-R-O-O, 
his nootropic is the uh, uh, the one that I've been using most recently. And then just from a uh, a dietary perspective, I'm a I'm a serious food and wine guy, and so it's odd that I would be you know promoting Soylent, but you know I found it to be very useful. If I'm not having a meal that's purpose is a social activity or you know an artisanal sort of culinary experience, take today. I've been working all day long. I've had no meetings other than phone calls. And rather than wasting time going to grab breakfast or lunch, I can, I can supplement those meals with something that's very healthy. It's giving me more or less everything the body needs, but in a way that's very efficient. I don't have any dishes when I'm done. I've got nothing to clean up. There was no preparation. You know, and in terms of saving time and call it GSD, I found it to be very effective. So those are you know, kind of the, the most active uh, sort of biohacks that I've been using. Well, thanks so much for being with us, Brock. We've had a tremendous interview, Brock Pierce at Blockchain Capital. Thanks for being with us. Trace, thank you again for having me. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.